the book of 2 Peter this evening, chapter number 1. Now, to be honest with you, most of our text is going to be confined in about three verses, but I don't like just ripping verses out of a, a passage and then preaching on those. I kind of like to give you a little bit of context surrounding them. And so, verse number 1 of 2 Peter, chapter number 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence. Now if you hear that word, giving all diligence, it doesn't say giving some diligence. It doesn't say giving a portion. It says give everything you've got. Pay attention to this. Focus on this. This this ought to be your chief pursuit in life, Peter says. Give all diligence. Now, we ought to pay attention when the Bible screams at our attention like that. Add is the next word there. See, the Christian life is about adding. If you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not advancing for the cause of Christ, well, there's only one other option. That's retreating. And so Peter's recommendation for every Christian in this room, and I don't care what stage of Christianity you're at, you could be a brand new convert, you could be the most sanctified saint in the room, I don't care where you're at, Peter says you ought to still be adding. I don't care how long you've been saved, how many Bible classes you've sat through, I don't care how many uh, 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 you, you know, degrees you have on the wall, the Bible here tonight... And its admonition for us is that we would all, from preacher and pastor to layman to deacon to servant to uh, slacker to everybody in this room, is not excluded. If you're a Christian, the Bible's admonition for us is that we would all add. That we would continue to add and continue to grow. The Bible says in verse number 5, add... To your faith. And the way it says it is, our faith is the foundation of the Christian life. And it's what we'll speak on tonight, but it says you must begin in faith. And then it has several things that we are to add and build up upon this faith. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, 
Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For if so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth, yea, think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance." knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. God's hope and the word of God's command tonight is that everyone in this room would realize this very simple truth. We all have a long way to go. And not one of us has arrived as a Christian. Even Peter, the great apostle, seems to be Addressing himself as he says these things. Christian brethren, add to your faith. Are you adding? Are you growing? I'm sad to say in a lot of Christians' lives, Christianity is just mere lifestyle. It just goes a little way to defining who they are. Maybe helps form some type of moral ethics or code in their life, but it's nothing more than that to them. Does your faith identify you? Are you adding? That's Scripture's hope tonight. That's Peter's address to us, is that we would add. And for the Christian that chooses to reject that, then here's what happens. We fall prey to three great condemnations in our life. Number one, we fall prey to this condemnation. We may become barren. The Bible says in verse number eight, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that seems to say that if these things do not abound, that you will certainly be barren and unfruitful. The Bible says much about being a fruitful Christian. Did you know that it does? The Bible says that ye shall know them by their fruits. In fact, the Bible also says, our Savior says that if we abide in Him and He in us, then we will bring forth much fruit because He is the vine and we are the branches. God's desire is that you would bring forth much fruit for the cause of Jesus Christ. Did you know that one day Jesus was walking into Jerusalem and he actually passed a fig tree there and the Bible says that he was hungry. As he passed the fig tree, the fig tree did not have figs on it. And you know what he did to that fig tree? He cursed it. And he said that no one would ever eat figs off of that tree again. Why did he get so upset? Because the expectation of our Savior is that fig trees would bring forth figs. And the expectation of our Lord is that Christians would bring forth fruit that identifies themselves as Christians. Are you fruitful? Because if we choose to reject adding to our faith, we become in danger of becoming barren. Not only that, but we may become blind, the Bible tells us in verse number 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now, spiritual blindness speaks of walking without purpose. 
It points to the man that's walking around in a dark room. The other night, we were, uh, uh, I was about to wake all the teenagers up out of bed. Uh, my alarm goes off real early there in New Mexico, and I go around and I wake up all the teenagers. And uh, it was very dark in the room when I got out. And somehow, I got a top bunk, which doesn't make a lick of sense to me. But I was on a top bunk, and Ethan Gerald was on the bunk below me. And uh, he had some of his stuff thrown out there beside the bed. And so when my alarm went off, it was kind of loud and I didn't want to wake up everybody. So I hopped out of the bed, which, by the way, is probably the worst thing you can do in the morning. Especially as my, my body gets older, my knees pop every step I take. It, man, I tell you, it was, somebody might as well just screamed, Timber! When I jumped out of bed in the morning. It was just awful. I remember I dropped out of bed. I could see nothing below me. And I landed on Ethan's bag. I didn't think anything about it. I was like, well, that's what he gets for putting his bag right underneath my landing zone. But either way, I thought nothing of it. I went over and turned my alarm off and we went about our business and uh, uh, woke up everybody for showers. And it was later that evening when Ethan pulled out his sunglasses. He said, somebody broke my sunglasses. And I said, man, I bet that was a seventh grader for sure. <laughs> I told him, I said, Ethan, that is my fault, buddy. I, this morning when my alarm went off, I jumped out of bed and I couldn't see the floor at all. I was stumbling around. If I'd have known your bag was there, I'd have probably jumped one way or the other, but I just couldn't see. And that's the picture of a spiritually blind man. You don't know where you're going. You have no purpose in life. Oh, too many Christians have made their purpose of their life something else besides living for Jesus. Too many Christians think they found hope or purpose in, in business or they found a real uh, manner of living and trying to be a good father. But I'm telling you this, any pursuit outside that which uh, starts and ends with Jesus Christ is a trivial pursuit indeed. It is completely useless and absolutely pointless. The Bible tells us that we should look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we, we become spiritually blind. We may become spiritually barren. And then thirdly, and this is where I think a lot of Christians find themselves, we become spiritually bored. Look at what Peter says, and I like these words. This is the words of an apostle, words of a, a spiritual father in the faith. And he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Now, he could have written unto them and told them to have a good prayer life. And I think that's very uh, uh, much a needy thing today in Christianity. We, we need to pray more. We need to believe in prayer more. We need to practice prayer more. But he didn't say those things. He didn't mention soul winning, which no doubt, as preacher pointed out to us the other night, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. And so we ought to be soul winners. But Peter didn't say that. He has one message for this people. And he says this, I will not be negligent to put you always remembrance of these things. What things is he saying? Adding to your faith, growing as a Christian. He says, though ye know them, he says, now you seem to be doing well. He says, you know them now. And he even says this, he says, and be established in the present truth. I mean, right now y'all are doing the right things. But he says this, 
Yea, I think it me as long as I am in this tabernacle, in this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He's like, I'm going to be the annoying preacher in your life. Every time old brother Peter comes to preach in our church, we know what he's going to preach on. He's going to preach on adding to our faith. He says, I'm going to annoy you with it. Man, I get back from uh, uh, the missions trip and everybody begins to tell me about what preacher's been preaching on and and he has all of his good ideas when I'm out of town. I don't know why that is. I think it's so he can make sure that I don't get credit for them, you know. I love the idea of the alarm clock at 9.38 a.m. and 9.38 p.m. And this morning, Brother Sean's and Dad's clocks went off at almost the exact same time. And, and at 9.38 a.m. and p.m., that's when you're supposed to pray for har- laborers in the harvest field. What a, what a great idea. That's going to be in your, you're going to be sitting in a business meeting one day and you're going to hear ring, ding, 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 or whatever your ringtone is. And they're going to say, what's that? Is that your alarm clock to wake up? No, I'm just about to pray for laborers in the harvest field, you know. You're going to be at supper one night with an important business associate and you're going to hear your alarm go off and they're going to say, what's that? Is that some type of, you know, reminder to set your DVR for something? No, 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 no. I just need to pray for laborers in the harvest field. And it's a constant reminder of the great need that is at hand. It's a great idea. Well, Peter is saying, I'm going to be your alarm clock. When I come into town, when I write you, when I see you, I am not going to neglect to tell you of the great need of adding to your faith. You can't stay as a Christian. I've said it once and I'll say it again. The Christian life is an uphill battle. If you're in neutral, you're going backwards. You must be moving forward for the cause of Christ. You must be living a life that is growing and developing. You can walk through the woods this evening and there really are only two states found in nature those that are developing growing maybe blooming and those that are decaying those that have seen their better day and maybe at one time stood for great beauty but now they lay horizontal on the floor dying and decaying as worms eat them where are you christian you developing or are you decaying This evening I want to speak to you about the first element of the Christian life. It really is the springboard and the launching pad of the Christian life. And it is this, the foundation of faith. The foundation of faith. I want you to notice with me number one this evening. It is a precious faith. It's precious. Verse number five tells us, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. But see, earlier in the passage, Peter tells us a little bit more about this faith. He says in verse number 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Man, it was precious to him. The word precious kind of brings to mind an idea of value or worth, does it not? I mean, if it's precious, it's just special. I can tell you right now, I have two little precious daughters and one little brat of a son. You see, but these are precious to me. I got home, there was nothing that I wanted to do more than go home and see my family. I wanted to get home and hug them and squeeze them. I wanted to embrace them and let them know how valuable they were to me, how much they meant to me. Why? Because they're precious to me. 
And if you have children, you feel the same way, unless yours are brattier than me or mine. You feel the same way. Your children ought to be precious to you. Peter felt that way about his faith. And he says, our faith is to be precious. Now, Peter kind of seems to be the rough and burly, kind of manly type. But did you know that he uses this word precious more than any other Bible author in all the Bible? Seven times alone in First and Second Peter, he mentions precious. Now, precious. And he says it here about his faith. I, this is a precious faith. I want you to notice, number one, it's a unique faith. It's a unique faith. This is Simon Peter's faith. You see, Simon Peter tells a whole story in and of itself. Because you remember, you really have the tale of two men here. Do y'all remember when his name was just Simon? You see, that was before he really met up with Jesus. That was before Jesus had given him a new name. His name was Simon. Do you want to know what Simon means in Hebrew? This is, you'll laugh at this, hearing. Huh. Hearing. I think that's why Jesus changed his name, because very little of what Jesus said he actually heard. But you see, Peter's life is the tale of two men, is it not? Man, he had some really bad moments. If you'll recall there, he's the only disciple to have the faith to step out of the boat. And for just a moment, he begins to rise in in faith and stand on the water. And he begins to go to Jesus. And it's really a mountaintop moment for Peter But it wasn't too long after that his eyes get moved off of Jesus and he begins to sink. You know the story. You see, Peter's life is summed up in the tale of two men. Simon, the man before Jesus. Simon Peter, the man after Jesus. One day he was at the Mount of Transfiguration. Oh, not very many men got to be there that day. Simon spoke out of turn and he said, Oh, it's good for us to be here. Man, I bet he regretted that as soon as he said it. (laughs) Obviously, Peter, it's good for you to be there. He said, let's build some tabernacles. He, you know, he wanted to start a building program in the First Baptist Church there. And not, not all the time are building programs necessary or good. And, and Jesus says, this isn't... Or God the Father actually says, Peter, this is my beloved son. Moses, Elias, all those other guys, they can take a back seat because this is my son, Jesus. It's really a great story in the Bible, but Peter had his ups and downs. Probably no... Better moment in Peter's life when the day that he received the name Peter. You see, Jesus was asking, who do men say that I am? And they had all sorts of answers. A lot of people thought he was a prophet. Some people thought he was a great teacher. But this was Peter's answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was Peter's answer. Nobody else had the guts to stand up and say it, but Peter did. And the Lord tells him that day that because of that response, he would no longer be known as Simon, but his name would now be Simon Peter. That Peter there means the rock. And it's, it's great. His life is the tale of two men. His faith is unique to him. You see, he did not travel the same course that John traveled. He did not travel the same course that Andrew traveled. He lived his own life and had his own story of his faith to tell. You know what's wonderful about church? The fact that we are all so different. I mean, some of y'all are really different, but I mean, we're all really pretty different. I think it's cool that I can come to church with doctors and attorneys, and I can come to church with educators, and I can come to church with truck drivers and contractors and 
I can come to church with all sorts of different people and we have all such different heritages and, and backgrounds. I mean, you may have grown up in a split home. You may have grown up in a no home. You may have grown up in a, in a healthy home. We all have such different backgrounds and that's great. That's part of your faith. You see, your faith is unique to you. And that's what makes it precious. I used to think that my testimony was lame. You know, I wish I had like one of those testimonies where it was like, well, a soul winner found me on uh, the red light district in uh, Fort Worth with a needle hanging out of my arm. But I don't have that testimony. I used to think that, man, I would have loved to have beer or alcohol somewhere in my testimony. But I'm telling you right now, I'm thankful for my testimony. And I'm thankful I didn't have to go through those things. And if God saved you on a bar stool, praise God that His grace reached to the lowest bar stool in town. But if God's grace saved you in a Sunday school class at four years old, my friend, that's just as good for me. And that is what makes your faith unique. Oh, it was definitely a unique faith, but I want you to see this. It's a universal faith. Because Peter here doesn't give much heed or credence to himself. He points all of the worth and all of the value to Jesus. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God And our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that's not speaking of two separate people. That's saying Jesus Christ, our Savior, was God. You see, Peter here is claiming the deity of Christ. And I love the fact that our testimonies are so different, but there is always one constant in every good testimony. It's that at one point or another, somebody had to look in the face of a precious Savior who was not just man, but he was God-man. And he humbled himself and came and was born in a little lowly manger there in in Bethlehem. And and he was mistreated and he was abused and he was criticized and he was mocked. And and there on Golgotha, he hung for the sins of the world. And, and, And our faith and our stories are unique. But there is one universal truth that runs through it all. And the backbone of my testimony is the backbone of your testimony. And is that there is a cross that Jesus hung on that is a universal truth and we ought to be thankful for it. No matter where you come from, you can agree on this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what's gone on in your past. I don't care how many skeletons you have or where they're buried. I know this, that Jesus loved you and He died for you. And if one day you prayed a sinner's prayer, then Jesus saved you and me and you share that in common. It's a precious faith indeed. What is your faith worth to you? Do you value it? Do you nurture it? Do you appreciate it? I'll never forget in April of 1999, I wasn't really into baseball yet, but there was something that had taken over the sports world altogether. There was two men one by the name of Mark McGuire and the other by the name of Sammy Sosa who were battling it out to break the all-time home runs record. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were doing things that had never yet been seen before. In fact, Babe Ruth had held that record for years and years and years and years at 61 home runs. 
I remember actually being in the living room the night that we saw Mark McGuire break the record, and it was pretty awesome because Mark McGuire would hit one, and Sammy Sosa would hit one, and, and once they got to 65, and then eventually Mark McGuire hit 70, I mean, it was just kind of an amazing thing, and I, I remembered, and my mom helped me remember, that I had a whole box or several boxes of baseball cards in my closet. And I didn't know what they were. Most of them had never been opened. But that night when I realized that he was now the home run record holder, we went through all those cards trying to find a Mark McGuire rookie card. Because if I could hit the jackpot on that one card, if, if I could have the new home run records rookie card, man, could you imagine the worth that that card would have held? We rifled, we searched through who knows how many cards. We never even found one. But man, we probably looked through 2,000 baseball cards trying to find that one. Christian, we look through all sorts of different things in this life, looking for pleasure, looking for happiness, and looking for hope. But yet we often neglect the one source that gives all of those, our faith in Jesus. How valuable is your faith? You spend time looking for pleasures and delights and other things, no wonder you come up empty all the time. There's a preciousness about our faith. Number two, Peter says this, it's a pliable faith. What you may not know is that Second Peter was written and it greatly encourages the knowledge of our faith. The knowledge of Christ. You see, First Peter encourages the grace of Christ or the grace of God, but Second Peter encourages the knowledge of God. And we may not always understand why, but we have a pretty good reason why, because Peter was worried about false teachers and false prophets that would come into the church and begin to deceive those that were in the church. In fact, Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says this, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring damnable heresies, even denying that the Lord hath bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The whole book we read tonight was written to protect Christians' faith. Amen. He wanted them to grow in knowledge. He wanted them to grow and develop as Christians. You know why? Because babies are vulnerable. Amen. That's what it is. You may not see a great need to grow in your faith, but I'll tell you why you need to grow. Because if you stay a baby, you stay vulnerable. Amen. All it takes is one person to recommend a good book that has a little bit of false doctrine in it, and Amen. you begin to read it, and man, you're right there, right for the taking. The reason Peter is encouraging this growth is because he knew he couldn't always be there. He knew he couldn't always take care of them. So it's about time they put forth the effort to grow. And it was about time they put forth the, not, the, the understanding and the knowledge so that they might develop as Christians. Let me ask you, friend. When's the last time that your friends asked you a Bible question that you were able to answer without going to preacher? Well, I have no problem going to preacher. I still do it. But when's the last time that you already knew the answer? When's the last time that you nurtured and developed your own Bible knowledge? Uh, we've got to understand that babies are vulnerable. I'll never forget bringing that child home and 
And man, watching those nurses work with, with Caitlin as she was still a baby, and they're so rough with them, you know, because they get the babies all the time. They know they, they don't really have any lines. But I'll never forget picking up Caitlin for the very first time. She couldn't even hold her head up. I mean, she looks drunk because her head is so heavy, and she's sitting there like this. And I, I'll never forget just the magnitude of this one thought hitting me. I am responsible for this thing. If, I, if me or my wife give her no food, she gets no food. If me and my wife give her no bath, she gets no bath. I would have loved for one of those little nurses to come home with us and do all that they were doing at the hospital, but they don't do that. They just kind of send you out the door with no instructions, and I'll never forget the van ride home was intimidating. You see, I've driven cars my whole life. I mean, I was driving a truck at 12 years old. That wasn't no big deal. But now that my baby was in there, things just changed. Why is that? Because it's vulnerable. A car accident that may not even give me a bruise may do something far greater to her. We must grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. At the onset of our faith, if it just stays in its unshapen state, we are certainly moldable by somebody else. We're so pliable there at the beginning. You see, verse number 19, Peter stresses this even more in 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse 19. He says, how are we going to do this? He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know what he's saying there? If you're going to grow, it's going to have to be through the Word of God. You must apply yourself to the learning of the Word of God. First Peter, he says this, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Romans chapter 10, if you want stronger faith, Romans 10 verse 17 says this, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You cannot muster up faith, you cannot encourage faith, you cannot hope for faith. Faith only comes through the hearing and the revelation of the word of God in your life. What you're doing with the Word of God directly affects the amount of faith you will have. Amen. We wonder why there's no spiritual victories. I tell you why, because we've left the Bible on the table. Amen. We wonder why we face small trials as if they're the greatest mountains we've ever seen. It's because our Bible's dusty. Amen. What you do with the Word of God directly correlates to the amount of faith you have. Your faith is always pliable. That's what we must understand. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. We are always susceptible we're always pliable. It's a precious faith. It's a pliable faith. I want you to see number three. It's a powerful faith. Amen. It's a powerful faith. If you study faith very long, which I have, you'll understand that faith is not a weakness in the Christian life, or it ought not to be. Oftentimes it's a weakness in our life because we neglect to value it the way we should, but faith is what gives the Christian strength. The Bible says in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, And Jesus answering saith unto them, 
have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he asketh. Now, I know that sounds like hyperbole. I know that sounds as if it's some illustration that Jesus is giving. Like Jesus looked off in the distance and saw a mountain and He said, Guys, I'm telling you right now, if you'll have faith in God, anything is possible. You could even say to that mountain, you be moved and and God would do it as long as you had no doubt in your heart and you just trusted that God could do it. It would happen. I don't know about you, I've never seen a mountain moved. Not at least a literal one. (laughs) I've never seen anything like that. But I just wonder if we have so discredited passages like this that we almost don't even believe in the power of faith anymore. You see, there is nothing too hard for God. With men, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I'm not worried about tomorrow because if I have faith in God, God's going to take care of tomorrow. I'm not worried about the the evils that come my way tomorrow because if I have faith in God, He'll give me the graces to deal with those evils. You understand, we we look at tomorrow as if this big task is coming our way, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you have faith in God, there is nothing too hard for the Christian. And our faith ought to be powerful. My favorite superhero... Is Craig here? No, Craig's at work. Oh, what's he? Where is he? Discipleship. Man, I wish Craig was here. Because I'm about to talk superheroes, and that's about the only time Craig pays attention to me. So, my favorite superhero is kind of a unique one. I don't like picking the one that everybody else likes. I like picking my own thing. I like being the kind of the oddball to some degree. So, my favorite superhero is not Batman or Superman or Spider-Man or any of those dudes. My favorite superhero is Green Lantern. I know that seems odd. I mean, most of us don't even really know what Green Lantern can do. But let me tell you what Green Lantern's power is, okay? That's why I like him. Green Lantern, to me, is the most powerful of all the superheroes. You say, there's no way. He can't be more powerful than uh, Superman. Well, this is what Green Lantern's power is. He has a ring, okay? It's this ring he's given. And anything that he can imagine that ring can do. So if he needs a pistol, if he imagines a pistol, he now has a pistol. If he imagines a mountain falling from the sky, a mountain can fall from the sky because that's what the ring does. The only limit to Green Lantern's power is his own imagination. You know the only limit to the Christian's power? The, The amount of faith they're willing to display in God. There is no limit to to faith's power. There is no limit to God. Hebrews chapter 11, obviously you know the scripture. The passage is what we would commonly refer to as the hall of faith. But guys, I believe you can put that on the screen. Hebrews chapter number 11 verse 32 says this. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, 
turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, all and these all having obtained a good report through faith. The other night my wife and I were laying in bed. I asked her what her favorite Bible story was. She looked at me and she said, All of them? I was like, okay, super spiritual. (laughs) Tell me what your favorite Bible story is. She thought a little bit and she said, I like Ruth. I said, that's a good one. And obviously I had to beat her. So I was like, my favorite's the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite Bible story? Maybe it's David and Goliath. Maybe it's Daniel and Lion's Den. Maybe it's Elijah on Mount Carmel. That's a pretty good one. I don't know what your favorite Bible story is, but there is not a great Bible story that does not ooze and and, and permeate faith. You see, faith is what does great things. Faith is what gets God's attention. Faith is what allows Elijah to stand up and say, yeah, just keep pouring more water on it. I'm really not all that concerned with it. Faith is what allows David to look in the face of his brother Eliab and say, I don't know what your deal is, but there's a a Philistine giant down there defying God, and I'm just going to be the guy if nobody else will go down there, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do, but God will fight for me. I don't know what your favorite Bible story is, but if it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's those young little boys looking at everybody else who bends a knee and they will not bend and they will not bow and they look at King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, O king, we be not careful to answer thee in this matter, but if it be so, our God who is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if not, he says, but if not, but if not, we will not bow to your idol. You see, those men and those great triumphs in scripture, those are only accomplished through one medium and it is this, that you must have faith. There is no victory in the Christian life without faith. There are no battles won and no prayers answered without faith. We may not value our faith the way that we need to, but I promise you this, God values your faith. And I'm tired of a weak, yellow-bellied, ninny-kneed faith. We need faith that's willing to pray bold prayers. We need faith that's not embarrassed to ask from an almighty God things that do not even seem possible. We need that kind of faith. The kind of faith that sent Peter to his own cross. The church tradition tells us that he asked to be crucified on an inverted cross upside down because he did not feel worthy to be executed on a cross like his Savior. We need faith like a little girl in 1999 who, when asked whether she believed in God at the end of a barrel, knowing full well that her answer would dictate whether or not she was saved or whether she was shot. We need faith that looks down that gun barrel and says, I do believe in God. That's the kind of faith we need. We need faith like that, powerful faith. We don't have that. 
We have faith that when we pray prayers, we make plan B's. We have faith that when we don't have an answer, we look everywhere to find one. That's our faith. But your faith is to be powerful. Your faith is to be strong in the Lord. See, our faith is precious. Our faith is pliable. Our faith ought to be powerful. Number four, here's a strange one. Our faith is puzzling. The reason I say that is because it's very hard to define and describe what faith is in the Christian life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, I think gives us the very best definition of it, don't you? It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I think that's a great definition, but even if we were to begin to kind of get in that definition, we would kind of find ourselves talking in circles, wouldn't we? I mean, not all of us understand what faith means, and we certainly don't all understand what great faith is. But this is what I believe. Faith serves as the evidence of every Christian who needs to garner a great conviction. You see, faith is what allows you to boldly shut the mouth of lions. Faith is what allows you to quit a job that you're not comfortable quitting and you don't know where the resources are going to come from because you can't stand the cuss words anymore. That's faith. Faith, difficult faith, but it's puzzling oftentimes. And as I studied, I found phrases that all kind of sounded like this, and I put them on the screen for you. Uh, There was a man by the name of Stephen Furtick. I believe he's a pastor. He says this, and let me just say right up front, I don't... I'm not saying these are bad people. Frankly, I don't even know them all that well. I'm vaguely familiar of a few of them. He says, faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the means to overcome it. That sounds good to me. Rosemary Clement Moore says, faith is an absence of doubt. It's belief without proof, not without question. J.D. Greer says, faith is not the absence of doubt. It is continuing to follow Jesus in the midst of doubt. I mean, all of those sound good, but you know what? As I studied Scripture, I found that that just wasn't the case. I'm not saying these people aren't good Christians. I'm not saying they're not well-meaning. And to be honest with you, before I started studying it, I'd have probably agreed with them. But faith is absolutely the absence of doubt. It could not be any more clear in Scripture. You see, I want you to look at a couple passages with me. Now, I believe that people say these things because we all struggle with doubts. And it sounds good for me to say, hey, I know you have doubts, but just display faith in God. And it sounds good and it's comforting and it's slightly appeasing to the soul. But I want you to see this in Mark chapter 9. I believe it's on the screen. Verse 23 says, Jesus saith unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Y'all want to say that next line with me? Help thou my unbelief. Jesus says if you can believe, then you'll have what you want. And the man fully well recognizing that there was still some doubt present in his life said, Lord, I've got some faith, but I need help in the areas that I don't have faith. That's one way to look at it. Matthew chapter 17, in terms of the same exact story, 
It's a boy who has a devil and the devil would, was just awful to the boy. He would foam at the mouth and it would tear him and he would convulse. It seems almost like a, a stroke-like symptoms. And, and the Bible even tells us that sometimes the devil would throw the boy into the fire or into the water and would try to take the boy's life. And it was just a real trouble on the man. And, and the Bible says in Matthew chapter 17, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, y'all want to say that next line with me? Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, I'm going to be very upfront with you. I have always wondered about this mustard seed passage. What in the world did he mean? You see, faith is not made up in volume. Faith is not, does not have matter. There is no mass. You can't measure it. So when you compare this intangible object with this tangible object, he says, if you can have faith this small, you can do whatever you want. And to be honest, I've always wondered. At times I've thought, well, the only purpose of a mustard seed is to grow a mustard seed plant. And so our faith ought to be so much so that when we want something, we desire something from God, we just have to have one goal, one purpose. But I'm beginning to think that's inaccurate. Here's the only way that I know how to interpret this passage, and it is this. Now, maybe preacher has a better way. This is what I have. Your faith can be the size of a mustard seed as long as your doubt is smaller. Because here's what happens. I know at least I'm guilty of this. I pray a prayer and it sounds something like this. Dear Lord, I need you to do the miraculous for me. But in the back of my mind, there's this doubt. And whether I have mustard seed faith or mountain moving faith, my, my doubt and my fears are equal to the size of those. My faith is such that I want to see God do something and I know that He can. But my doubts are so much so that I just don't know if He will for me. And and, and so I sit there and I debate in my mind. I say, God, I want to see souls saved. But, you know, we live in a day and an age where we just don't see much of that anymore. And so my mustard seed faith is equal to or overshadowed by the doubts that are in the back of my mind. And when some preacher tells me, you know, that, you know, faith is not the absence of doubts, it's just following Jesus regardless of those. Now, I can follow Jesus, but if I doubt Him the whole way, how's He going to work for me? I think that man that prayed that prayer, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief, I, I think he displayed an amount of wisdom that is so unbelievable. Because we all have doubts, don't we? We all have concerns. We all have fears. But his prayer was this. Lord, I believe. I have mustard seed faith right now, Lord. But I need you to turn the doubts in my life into faith. That's why we don't see prayers answered. is because our doubts overshadow our faith. I think every person in this room has faith. I just don't know how big your doubts are. You see, faith is a very puzzling thing. Even Mark chapter 11 says this. We already looked at this verse, but 
The Bible says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be therefore removed, and be thou cast into the sea. And what's the next line there? And shall not doubt in his heart. You see, doubt is a real problem when it comes to faith. We all struggle with it. So maybe if we want faith, how does faith come? Now, I don't normally do this. How do we get faith? By hearing the Word of God. That's clear. The Bible says it. So how do we get faith? By hearing the Word of God. How do we get faith? By hearing the Word of God. Help me out, class. How do we get faith? By hearing the Word of God. Okay? Doubts come naturally, though. So our prayer ought to be this. God, as I study your Word, I want you to show yourself to me. Show yourself strong. Show yourself mighty. Show yourself the miracle working God that I know you are. Build my faith. Establish my faith. Strengthen my faith. And crush my doubt. And when we do that, I believe our faith will grow. At least it's a biblical pattern to seeing faith develop and grow. Faith is a very puzzling thing. It's actually one of the most intimidating things I've ever preached on because, believe me, I don't feel like I've arrived in this whole deal. It's puzzling. Sometimes, well, all the time, our faith should be powerful. Our faith is often pliable, and our faith is absolutely precious. And I want you to know, number five. You say, you have five points? No, I have six. (laughs) I got them. Our faith is a pointed faith. Your faith is only as strong as the object that it lies in. You see, I could go bungee jumping and somebody show me a shoestring as the rope that I'm going to be going down on. And they may say, yeah, but this shoestring is rated for 700 pounds. And I say, I don't care. It's a shoestring. I want you to give me the biggest rope you got, even if it only has one or two strands. It seems to me the bigger the rope, the better the rope. You see, your faith is only as good as the object that it is in. This week, or actually this morning, I had a mom come to me and tell me, Brother Andrew, I'm not going to lie, I was incredibly nervous that our daughters were going with you. You don't even have your CDL yet. I said, well, I have a learner's permit. She said, I don't care. I made her send me a picture of her in her (laughs) seatbelt. You see, her faith is only as strong as the object that it is in. And it was in this guy that's not driven very many buses in his life. You know why your faith ought to be strong? Because it's pointed to the right source. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If your faith is in God, man, I think you could have a powerful faith. If your faith is in God, what's limiting you from getting things accomplished in prayer? If your faith is in God, man, it seems like that's a good place for it to be. Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, the hymn writer said it like this. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other righteousness. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. The reason we ought to desire to have a strong faith is our faith is rooted in a strong God. Our faith ought to look up to our God when we pray and say, Lord, there is nothing too hard for you. 
I wonder how those Old Testament saints sought to do great things for God. I mean, like Elijah's case, and I'm kind of getting off my sermon here, but I've always wondered this. What gave him the audacity to just claim God would do that for him? I ain't going to lie to you. I'm a, I feel like I'd be the guy that's like, I'm going to call down fire from heaven and like display a little faith and slight bit of arrogance and then get down there and no fire fall from heaven. I don't know if anybody else feels like that would be y'all. What gave those guys the confidence to do that? Well, it's just unwavering faith that God was able to do it and that He would do it. That's why I like the Hebrew children's prayer. But if not, you see My faith is that God is able to deliver me from this fiery furnace. (laughs) That's not the question. And we're not careful to answer you in this matter. But if He chooses not to save us, we're still going to follow Him. We're still going to honor Him. And I like the way that their plans for their life ran in harmony with God's will for their life and also gave God preference and deference to do whatever He wanted with their life. They just said... We know what's right. We're going to do it. We have faith in God. If this ends in our bloodshed, that's okay. We have faith in God. If this ends in a glorious triumph, that's okay. We have faith in God. Our faith is unwavering. What is your faith in? Oh, Christian, don't get so comfortable in this materialistic world that you choose to trust your bank account more than you trust God. (laughs) One stock market crash, man, that money you've got ain't worth nothing. One issue go down, one big medical bill. I think it was my brother Dave, his daughter Abby went to the hospital. It was something like over $2 million worth of medical bills. One deal like that, man, I'm drained. In fact, like one two hundredth of that, like one two millionth of that, I'm drained. Just say a dollar. A dollar. If, I, if it's over a dollar, my copay, I'm drained. See, don't get so comfortable in this life that your faith finds any other resting place than where it belongs in Jesus. It's a pointed faith. And then finally, I want you to see this. It's a pleasing faith. It pleases God when His children display faith. It pleases Him. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Doubting Thomas, no doubt, faced a little bit of this when everybody else said, Thomas, you won't believe it. We've seen the resurrected Savior. Thomas, it was wonderful. It was amazing. Thomas, you you wouldn't believe it. And he says, you're right, I don't. Unless I stick my hands into the wounds, unless I see Him with my own eyes, I will not believe that He's resurrected, as you say. Jesus comes into the room one day where Thomas is, and these were the words that Jesus had for Thomas. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. And then he follows it up with this. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You know what I find unique? That the disciples' faith was greater when Jesus was absent from them than it was when he was with them. Can you imagine being around every campfire with Jesus, hearing every parable direct from his mouth, and then later on that night getting the commentary of that parable? Jesus, what did you mean by the sower went forth to sow? Well, you see, 
I am the sower. The Son of Man is the sower, and the seed is the word of God. And, and you get to hear those types of lessons straight from the mouth of Jesus. And yet Peter was a far better Christian in second, when he's writing 2 Peter and 1 Peter than he was in the Gospels. John on the Isle of Patmos, as he writes the book of Revelation, he's a far better Christian then than he was when Jesus was present. Even Peter says, we have not, devised, or we have not followed cunningly devised fables. The stuff that I'm telling you, the stuff that we're you know, uh, mentioning happened, that stuff was real. But he then says this, for we have a more sure word of prophecy It's amazing to me that we can have as strong of a faith as somebody that saw Jesus in the flesh. I want you to notice in verse number 1. Now this is kind of backtracking again. But the Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Do you know you can have the same kind of faith Peter had? He got to see Jesus. He got to see the resurrected Savior. And yet Peter says, look, I'm writing to a bunch of people who have just the same kind of faith that I do. It pleases God when His children display faith. I'll close with this. My parents have a pool. And uh, we go over there sometimes with my kids. It's fun to see them in the water. They don't get to go over a lot, so they don't know how to swim yet. Caitlin's more comfortable around water the other day I slipped and dunked her way underwater and she freaked out about that. I was like, you know, just don't breathe when you're under there. You'll be fine. Uh, but we, we have a pretty good time. I'll never forget, though, it was about last year, I guess, and Caitlin came to the edge of the pool. And uh, I said, come here, Caitlin. You know, I wanted her to do what every dad wants them to do. Blindly trust that I will catch her. And Caitlin being who Caitlin is, she got there on the edge. And you could tell with everything inside of her, she wanted to jump, but she just could not bring herself to it. So I was like, come on, Caitlin, come on, come on, you can do it. You know, and I'm farther away, and then I get my hands closer, almost to bait her into jumping, you know. And I'm going to pull back at the last moment so that I can catch her at a farther distance and make her trust me a little bit more. And yet, she never would. In fact, this was the best I could do. I could get her right at the edge of the pool and then she would like kind of contort her body like this, but her feet would never leave the edge of the pool until my arm or my hands were firmly planted under her armpits. But then she would trust me. Well, it was the other day we took the girls back and now Bailey and Caitlin are a year older. And now Bailey is just a little bit younger this year than Caitlin would have been last year and and the other day, it was awesome. I was like, Bailey, jump into my arms. And I mean, this made me so proud. Bailey just kind of like did a gainer, man. I mean, she's like, okay, you know, just totally fearless. I loved every bit of it. And that's why Bailey's my favorite, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Caitlin. You know I love you, right? <laughs> All right, good. I cannot tell you how how good that made me feel. Now, am I like the strongest dad in the world? No. As far as they know, yes, but no. Uh, But something about my daughter just trusting me, 
just to jump and leap into my arms, just to say, Dad, okay. I'll do what you say, I'll obey you, and I'll trust you. There is nothing better than that. I can't help but think that God feels the same way when His children jump into His arms in complete and total faith abandonment and just say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. It pleases God when we display faith. See, faith is the foundation of the Christian life. You don't have faith, you're not a Christian. Faith is the foundation, and Peter says this, that we should add. Next week, we'll look at adding virtue to our faith.